the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, March 12th, 2021. Glenn Harlan Reynolds is a professor of law at the University of Tennessee and writes the following, which I agree with in whole. Most Americans hate, hate woke politics, and most minorities don't share woke priorities. Indeed, according to pollster David Shore, woke excesses are causing black voters to flee the Democratic Party. Despite endless charges of racism, former President Donald Trump took the biggest share of minority voters of any Republican in my lifetime. Woke tyrants ride high, even so. According to a Cato YouGov poll, 62% of Americans self-censor self -censor their political expression. Only a tiny minority of consumers care about Mr. Potato Head's toxic masculinity, about Aunt Jemima as a brand, or about Me Too aggressions of Pepe Le Pew. Yet corporations, universities, and governments rush to placate the minuscule slice of the population, trashing large chunks of our culture in the process. It's happening not because anybody voted for it, but because a small but determined and vicious minority is bullying people to go along, relying on cowardice and groupthink to achieve ends that could never happen via majority vote. How do you think Dr. Seuss would have done in a referendum? 90 to 10, maybe? How does this happen? To some degree, the woke abuse, to some degree, the woke abuse the good nature of Americans. For the most part, Americans want their fellow citizens to be happy. If they hear something makes others unhappy, they generally look to change things. And there's fear. Writing about the goings-on at New York's Dalton School, Barry Weiss notes that even parents who think the political correctness has gone too far are afraid to speak out. They think their kids shot at the Ivy League could be at risk. And it's not just at private schools like Dalton. Weiss quotes one mother, quote, I look at the public school and I'm equally mortified. I can't believe that what they are doing to everybody. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to speak too loudly. I feel cowardly. So I just make little waves. Another mother says it's fear of retribution. Would it cause our daughter to be ostracized? Would it cause would it cause people to ostracize us? It already has. In his book, Skin in the Game, Nicholas Nassim Taleb writes about the surprising ability of small but intransigent majorities, excuse me, small but intransigent minorities, three or four percent is enough, to, who can change the entire direction of a society. He writes, quote, the most intolerant wins. Yes, an intolerant minority can control and destroy democracy. It will eventually destroy our world. So we need to be more than intolerant with some intolerant minorities. Does this mean we should be less tolerant of our own majoritarian tyrants or minoritarian tyrants? In a world, maybe. I don't mean that they should be forced into camps or even driven from their jobs and from polite society, as the woke are all too willing to do to their opponents, but they need to be deprived of the thing that is most important to their self-image, and that is moral credibility. 
The woke think of themselves and want everyone to think of them as deeply moral. If they have a flaw, it's that they care just a little too much. They're too idealistic, too empathetic, too eager to make the world a better place. That's baloney. If you look at what they do rather than what they say about themselves, it quickly becomes obvious that the woke are horrible, awful people, and they should be treated as such and reminded of this whenever they raise their head. Historically, it's not the good guys who are out burning books and censoring speech. It isn't the caring, empathetic people who try to destroy lives based on something said years ago often while young, often taken out of context. It isn't the good guys who take undisguised glee at the ruining of lives, families, and careers. You know who does these things? Horrible, awful people do these things. Selfish people. People with serious mental and emotional problems who seek some sort of vindication for the deficient characters by taking power trips while imposing sufferings on others. Treat these tyrants as what they are, awful people who shouldn't be listened to and who need to work hard on joining the better half of the human race. And remind them of it over and over, because it's true. Deep down, they know it, too. Well said, Glenn. I think the winner of that position this week, who needs to be told she's an awful person, or at least deeply wrong, might be Meghan Markle and Harry. I've been trying to wrap my head around why they were such a big deal in this country. And it's not just because of Oprah. If Diane Sawyer, say, did the interview, I think you'd get the same attention, reaction, and response. Though it would have had better follow-ups during the interview because Sawyer would have shown more incredulity at some of the absurd claims Meghan made rather than just accept and swallow them whole as Oprah did. My first, then again, Diane wouldn't have been paid $7 million to do the interview. My first thought about all the promotion for the interview is, aren't we Americans? We don't do kings and princes and queens and princesses here, outside of fairy tales and cartoons, do we? We don't, in other words, take blood seriously, seriously here, do we? We, of course, being the first country in the history of the world being founded not on the divine right of kings, bloodlines, or theological parochialism, and founded as against something known as the British crown, royalty, bloodlines, the divine rights of kings. I, cr I can't prove this, but I bet it's true. More Americans probably venerate the British royalty or parts of it than any Brits think about, venerate, venerate celebrate, or give two hoots about the American president or his family. You think Don Jr.? Hunter Biden, Amy Carter, Jenna Bush, or Sasha Obama would get anything like 10% of the attention on a British television interview that Meghan got or can get anytime she wants here in America. So what's going on here? Well, one is we've forgotten ourselves and why we disdained bloodlines. It's easy to do when you discount, nay, destroy all original understandings of our founding. Second, there's an unarticulated new fascination with blood and bloodlines here in America. And to me, it's as sick as the mythical hospital patient who refuses a blood transfusion from someone of a different race. But that's where we are now. As recently as the decade I was born to now has been a total transmogrification 
of this once supremely ethical and foundational understanding that blood and race should not matter. The founder or inventor of the word woke in the 1960s, William Melvin Kelly, used that word to describe how black Americans wanted nothing more than to be part of mainstream life, not identified as different because of their race, but similar or the same by virtue of being a fellow American. Beautiful. Martin Luther King wanted to achieve a society that would find race irrelevant and the only relevant thing about an individual being his or her humanhood. The view of John Marshall Harlan, Justice of the Supreme Court, that our Constitution is colorblind and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens was the view progressive, smart, open-minded, non-racist people took from Plessy v. Ferguson as it was the dissent. It was the same view Thurgood Marshall had when he argued to the Supreme Court in the famous Brown versus Board of Education case, quote, distinctions by race are so evil, so arbitrary and invidious that a state bound to defend the equal protections of the laws must not invoke them in any public sphere, close quote. That was then. Now, race matters. Now, too many think racial minorities should not be part of, but separate from, majoritarian or even mainstream life, indeed identified as different by dint of their race. Now, race is supposed to be not only relevant, but perhaps the most relevant thing in public and private life, not simple humanhood. Now we are taught the virtues of Plessy versus Ferguson as historically and morally right and not its descent, and that our Constitution was not colorblind and both tolerated and endorsed classes among citizens. Now, we are taught and told distinctions by race are important, deliberate, and definitive, and that we should be bound to respect them in every part of the public sphere, the opposite of everything we thought we learned and we thought was right, the opposite of Thurgood Marshall and John Marshall Harlan and Martin Luther King. Meghan Markle, as Oprah Winfrey, play these tunes to a fairly well-pleased perfection. Both millionaires and billionaires exist as if to explain the ongoing unfairness of their societies and lives. Though both grew up in those same societies, in one case, middle class, to become a member of the royal family, in the other case, so dirt poor she wore dresses made of potato sacks as a child but is now the wealthiest individual woman in the world. Yes, very unfair societies. It's a bit hard to take and swallow, but given the downgraded state of education, common sense, and understandings of our, not to mention other societies, I can see why we or many of us take all this seriously and take it all as important, these complaints of Megan and Oprah, as we take it all as instructive and oh-so-elevated and oh-so-sophisticated and oh-so-woke. Peggy Noonan writes today, quote, why should an American care about any of these interviews? I suppose we shouldn't. In a practical way, we're interested in the royal family because we don't have one, don't want one, and yet think it's great that others do, close quote. 
That may used to have been true, but doesn't quite get the entire Markle Winfrey spectacle of misery and sadness. Poor little rich girls that they are. As I understand the original story of the poor little rich girl, there may be something there. For in that play, Gwendolyn, the protagonist, also succumbs to delirium and a world of imagination. Poor little countries succumb to an accepting of too much delirium. Restlessness, illusions, and incoherence of thought and speech are what delirium is. We should not be saying, God save the queen. We should rather be saying, God save America. I'm Seth Leibson. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Um, that was nominated as the most conservative song in rock as um, a counterpoise to what was first offered, which was Bob Dylan's Forever Young being the most conservative song in rock. Is there a more rock and roll conservative song than Forever Young or Coming to America? I'm open to those nominations. It's surprising we only have Bob Dylan and Neil Diamond to look to for that, two people who arguably aren't really rock and rollers. I mean, sort of, Rock Music Hall of Fame and all that. But not really, not really rock. People who covered Bob Dylan are rockers. I mean, I think it's fair to say Forever Young covered by Rod Stewart. Yeah, I mean, Rod Stewart's a rocker. And you can understand what he's saying in the song, too, as opposed to the inscrutable Bob Dylan. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, Open Line Fridays. We're going to have a little fun today, a little culture, as well as politics. 602-508-0960 is the number. Just FYI, if you do call, uh, be nice to Bill, my producer. He is skating on thin ice today with me. He has been, it's fair to say you have been, right? You've been on thin ice today. Do you know where that's that phrase... Laugh, Mrs. Robinson, that's really a laugh. No, you have been. You you have been mucking it up since the moment I arrived here, and I don't know what... Did you run today? How much? How many miles? All right. Well, see, you need to join me. I'm doing a uh, 10K on Sunday, a shamrock run, it's called, with our, our buddy Hugh Hallman, and I think Steve Moak Jr. is going to join us as well. Anyone who else is planning to do that 10K, uh, come up and say hi. Come find me or something or email me and let me know. We're going to do a celebratory breakfast afterwards. It's early Sunday morning, 7.30 in Tempe, Shamrock 10K. So we've been training for that. Do you want to know where the phrase in English first saw skating on thin ice or walking on thin ice? It's originally actually a, 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 a Dutch phrase. Because evidently the Dutch invented ice skating. Did you know that? But Ralph Waldo Emerson, in an essay on prudence, wrote, Iron cannot rust, nor beer sour, nor timber rot, nor calicoes go out of fashion, nor money stocks depreciate. In the few swift moments in which the Yankee suffers any one of them to remain in his possession, in skating over thin ice... Our safety is in our speed. Our safety is in our speed. You may want to remember that. That's the kind of thing you would remember, isn't it? Well, the point is not that, Bill. 
the safety being in our speed is the reason you've been on thin ice. You lost that lesson. You have been delaying me in everything today. I've lost that lesson as well as that loving feeling. Yeah. That's the problem too. Righteous brothers, you have. You have. Okay. Where are we, brother? We're on Joe Biden. I've got a lot to do today with you. Joe Biden. First of all, piece of audio. I I just couldn't stand listening to it. But in any event, why give this speech? What was the point of the speech he gave last night? Do you know how he opened it? He opened it. Tonight, I'd like to talk to you about where we are as we mark one year since everything stopped because of this pandemic. A year ago, we were hit with a virus that was met with silence and spread unchecked. Denials for days, weeks, then months led to more deaths, more infections, more stress, and more loneliness. First of all, do you guys remember silence? I don't remember silence. Do you remember denial for days, weeks, and months? Well, the scientist we were supposed to pay attention to in those early days, Mr. Dr. Anthony Fauci, he said this. Bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. We'd be changing our habits, and if so, how? No, right now, at this moment, there is no need to change anything that you're doing on a day-by-day basis. I don't think this is something that the United States public should be worried or frightened about. You know, we can stop it there. I could play you 10 more. But denials for days, weeks, then months? That came from Anthony Fauci. He's the one we're supposed to listen to. He's the one Joe Biden has kept on payroll as the lead White House science advisor on COVID. He's the he's the he's the interview to get. And yet Joe Biden blames denials. I remember I'm old enough to remember when Donald Trump put a travel ban between China and the United States. Joe Biden went to The New York Times to condemn it as xenophobic. If we had listened to Joe Biden, how many more lives would have been lost? Let's use Joe Biden's vernacular. How many more deaths, more infections, more stress? We have more. We'll be back. 602-5080-960. This is good Friday music you got going for us, Bill. You're redeeming yourself. That's nice. Your your ice is becoming a little thicker. What are you doing? Why why are you doing that to my computer? Bill has control over my computer for three hours a day. It's 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 sometimes a comforting feeling. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Let me do a shout out to some friends in Los Angeles. I met. Um, I met them a little uh, little bit over a year ago, uh, Sylvia and um, and Kevin, and uh, we met at um, we met in Israel. Actually, we met on a Dennis Prager Mike Gallagher trip to Israel, and uh, there's nothing like friendships forged in those kinds of situations, those kinds of trips, and uh, we've maintained uh, touch uh, ever since. Uh, so, Kevin and Sylvia in Los Angeles, hope you're all doing well, and. Um, Know that uh, we here in Arizona, um, we have gyms, we have restaurants, we have um, we have good weather, 
We don't have oceans, but we have rivers and lakes, and um, we have uh, a, a, a governor that, that, that believes in commerce. So, um, you know, think about come on, on out. What? Yes. Yes. Unlike California or Massachusetts or New York or D.C., we have plenty of parking. The desert's just fine. Come on in. You're the kind of Californians we're looking for. Uh, yes, Bill Montgomery. Yes, outfield music for spring training. You picked up exactly what I'm doing. My gosh, all my friends are writing in today. The outfield. Do we need squeeze? Why do we have no squeeze in our bumper music? Joe Biden even mentioned Anthony Fauci in his speech last night. He did. We don't have to give you the transcript, uh, the audio of that. That wasn't uh, part of the plan today. But it, uh, it just dawned on me when he opens his speech last night talking about denials for days, weeks, then months that led to more deaths, more infections and more stress. Anthony Fauci was the uh, the one leading those denials and downplaying things. And then in his speech last night, <laughs> because I don't think there's a standard that Joe Biden understands, he says, quote, listen to Dr. Fauci, one of the most distinguished and trusted voices in the world. Sure. Listen to him. No masks. One mask, two mask, three mask, four. I almost would invoke Dr. Seuss for this if I were allowed to. But he's um, he's he's now in for a dig. All right. Give me a little Joe Biden audio from last night. Joe Biden is telling you what you can do with your July 4th, which is kind of an interesting thing when you think of the purpose of July 4th being overthrowing a established government that kept telling us what to do. I need you. I need every American to do their part. And that's not hyperbole. I need you. That's not hyperbole. I need you to get vaccinated when it's your turn and when you can find an opportunity. And to help your family, your friends, your neighbors get vaccinated as well. Because here's the point. If we do all this... If we do our part, if we do this together, by July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends, will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it does mean small groups will be able to get together. Stop it there. Stop stop it there. First of all, first of all, it sounds like the dialogue between the lion versus the tuna in the other guys, where the tuna are storming the beaches to attack lions. And Will Ferrell is saying, you know, they won't be able to hold their breath for weeks on end, but hours, minutes, no problem, first of all. Second of all, what world does Joe Biden exist in? I remember my July 4th last year. By the way, I mentioned the person I was with last year. He had a comment about the outfield a moment ago. There were plenty of gatherings outside and outdoors and barbecues. Do you remember your July 4th last year? Was it held under cover of darkness like some Jews celebrating Passover in the 1970s Soviet Union? Of course not. And does Joe Biden really tell us if we're on our best behavior, we can abide by and live with and celebrate July 4th? Is that what we're at now? Is that is that where we've come? Joe Biden will let us know if we can celebrate July 4th. Is he kidding? Is he kidding? 
I think he is kidding. I don't think he I don't think he thinks about these things very deeply. Part of the reason I don't want to play the audio of Joe Biden, I I have to a little bit, but part of the reason I don't want to is I know I'm not really quoting Joe Biden. Be right back. A prominent Arizona, and I probably shall not use his or her name, gave a suggestion here that um, I, I will take. Let's, let's refer to Joe Biden as Uncle Joe. When you think of someone who will or will not allow us to celebrate July 4th, that Uncle Joe appellation is pretty apt. It's an apt appellation. Something you won't get on the Prager show. It's an apt appellation. Oh, sure, he can do AOC for for a, for an acronym like uh, an abundance of caution, but he doesn't give you apt appellations like what like like you get from three to six. Okay, Uncle Joe may or may not let us have our Fourth of July. Why? Listen to this. Getting back to normal depends on national unity. And national unity isn't just how politics and politicians vote in Washington, what the loudest voices say on cable or online. Unity is what we do together as fellow Americans. Because if we don't stay vigilant and the conditions change, then we may have to reinstate restrictions to get back on track. And please, we don't want to do that again. We've made so much progress. This is not the time to let up. Grabian. Just he goes on. Yeah, I'll just say it. Just as we are emerging from a dark winter into a hopeful spring and summer is not the time to not stick with the rules. I'll close with this. We've lost so much over the last year. We've lost family and friends. We've lost businesses and dreams we spent years building. We've lost time, time with each other. And our children have lost so much time with their friends, time with their schools. And there's something else we've lost. We've lost faith in whether our government and our democracy can deliver on really hard things for the American people. He says this in such a passive voice as if none of this was direct, as if there was some invisible hand here that led to all this loss, including the children who've lost their friends, their friendships, their time with friends. Um, Sorry, back in March, some of us, we're writing that the schools should not be closed. Some of us have been arguing that the schools should be open and children should not be yanked from the social life that they know. Some of us have been yelling about that for almost exactly a year now. Even his CDC director admitted to that four weeks ago until the teachers' unions got to them because the teachers' unions are evidently the scientists we need to listen to, not Rochelle Walensky. It's good to know where the power is. There's an old New Yorker cartoon of aliens coming to Earth, and it says, forget your leaders, take us to their speechwriters. Forget your leaders, take us to the teachers' union. They have evidently more control over what will happen in this country than any possible group of scientists. That's who Joe Biden's been listening to. And Joe Biden, this great education expert, this great advocate, has been silent. She has been as quiet On the education child social issue, socialization issue, as Kamala Harris 
and Kristen Gillibrand have been about Andrew Cuomo. It's amazing what can shut these people up who usually can't stop gabbing. It's amazing what shuts them up. Now, I get Donald's Donald's problem was he couldn't shut up. But in an open Republican democracy of single standards, do you want someone who's available to the media and tells you everything on his mind? Or do you want lies and quiet and double standards because of unions and partisan politics? It is not a passive issue that we've lost so much over the last year. We lost family and friends and businesses and dreams we spent years building. There are some states that did not have those problems. And there are some states that did. The states with the biggest of them had the governors who the media made the greatest of heroes a year ago. Their names were Cuomo and Newsom. One is now under Federal Bureau of Investigation, investigation, and one is now being recalled. Good work that. The others, people like Noam in South Dakota, DeSantis in Florida, You know what they're doing? As Cuomo's and Newsom's careers are ending, do you know what they're doing? They're preparing, I hope, to run for president and vice president, respectively. That's what I hope. Their careers are just beginning. Because, no, they didn't oversee so much loss. Dreams, businesses, time. Or hypocrisy, by the way. Or hypocrisy. You didn't catch them telling citizens of their state what they could and could not do and then going and doing it themselves under the cover of darkness. Anyway, Rob's in surprise. Hi, Rob. Hi, Seth. Happy Friday, by the way. Yes, um, sir. Happy Friday. My, my, uh, my uh, Based on what you were just saying, my personal uh, favorite for the 2024 thing I would, you know, everybody talks about Christy Noem being a vice president. I would reverse that. I would put Christy as the presidential candidate for a lot of reasons. Either way, I'm good. Yeah. Either way. I think the best thing the Republicans could do is put a very competent, successful female governor who has, you know, had the executive experience and has succeeded as uh, as a governor. In, in so many ways, especially over the past year, I think that would just be in your face to all the Democrats. And that's why I would put her at the top of the ticket. Ron DeSantis would be great, either as a president or vice president. But I'm, I'm personally a huge fan of Christy, especially after watching her at CPAC um, or watching her video at CPAC. You know what's interesting CPAC. about both of them? You know, because you usually want to run a governor for president. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting about both of them? They also have the legislative experience. They were both members of the U.S. House of Representatives, Noam and DeSantis. So they have yeah, that right. that Washington um, uh, experience, so to speak, which people say a lot of governors don't have. Remember, remember the hits on, on Carter and Clinton early on were that they just came with oh, no right. understanding of Washington. That's not a DeSantis or Noam problem. And, and that's a very good point. I think, you know, and I, I forgot about that, but you're right. I think that adds more street cred. A little. Yeah. Yeah, they'll hit the ground running. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, what I really called for was you were mentioning earlier about top conservative songs. Yeah, we got to do better than Bob Dylan. And I love Neil Diamond, but it's just rock. 
Well, I've got, I've got, I think, several surprises, or maybe not so much. But you remember the song Tax Man by the Beatles, Yeah. Right? I think they wrote that when they became successful and realized how much the government was taking out in taxes. Probably. I would definitely put that into uh, a conservative song. All right, hold the, hold the line, hold the line, hold the All line. Right. Love isn't always right. on time. We'll be right back. Okay, that might be a conservative song we stumbled on to. Jay and the Americans, only in America. Now, Don, smart listener that he is, nominates Proud to be an American and We're Not Gonna Take It by Lee Greenwood and Twisted Sister, respectively. Let me just point out the Greenwood thing is is unfair. Um we can't go to country. We're talking rock and roll. If you go to country, just forget about it. Forget about it. It's <laughs> right. It's every it's like what would that be like, Rob? What would be the analogy I'm looking for? That would be like me competing against Bill in a long distance race. No, you just you just well, Yeah, that depends on who's the better runner, I guess. I no, it depends on the fact that Bill has never run more than two hundred meters. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. Yeah. Well, okay. In Bill's defense In Bill's defense um, he run, can run a fast two hundred meter. What's your time, Bill? Uh, you you do have an actually, impressive well, he has an impressive time. What's your time, Bill? What's your best? For 200, I think it was something like 21 or 22 seconds. Yeah, he's impressive. <laughs> well, I remember a couple of days ago, I think he was talking, or you were talking to him about running, I don't know, what, 30 meters total that day? No, 30 meters. <laughs> yeah, or whatever it was that he had, you know, he didn't brag about it. Anyway, uh, for Bill, there's a Rush song called Something for Nothing. Yeah, he, th- he, so- he told me on the break he thinks he'd throw that in there, yeah. Yeah, you can't get something for nothing. You can't have freedom for free. Right. I think that says it says it all. Now, one of the songs, and I know you played it here, uh, Night Ranger, Sister Christian. Yeah. Uh, most people don't realize that the song is about uh, advising the drummer from Night Ranger's sister to remain a virgin until she finds Mr. Wright. That's interesting. I think, I think that's a You're growing up so fast and mama's worried that you won't last? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. And then, um, well, again, a Rush song, Red Barchetta. It's a song about a car, and this is back in Canada, and it was talking about, you know, the uncle had an old uh, car in the barn or something, uh, and he, they mentioned before the motor laws, which I guess was a Canadian thing where uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, excessive regulation where even driving is illegal which okay. I thought was kind of a an interesting um, song. And then, I don't know, there's, there's just... There's so I'll much. tell you what's I good was, about this call. Oh, you know what's really... I'm sorry, what? Seth. Go Skokie ahead. from Muskogee from Merle Again, Hager. country. A country, not... Yeah. I know, yeah. I know. No, no. But I'll um, tell you what's good about your call, Rob. You gave me, yes, I think, four or five contenders as the more conservative songs in the genre of rock and roll which I am happy about because it shunts Bob Dylan to way low on the list, which makes me happy and really was the only goal of me teasing this out. So well done, my okay. good and faithful listener. Well, thank you, and I have more if you're, if you're interested. I may need them because there's this Bob okay. Dylan lobby in town that's very, very powerful, and we may need to push okay. back. You have to, You have to push back as hard against the culture as pushes 
against you, said um, said the novelist. All right, we will be right back. The great Andy Biggs coming right up.